Welcome in to the inaugural episode of Stanley Cup of Chowder's Unsupervised Podcast. I'm this week's podcast host, Colin Beswick. I'm joined today by Stanley Cup of Chowder editor, Jake Reiser. Jake, how's it going? I'm doing good, Colin, but I'm pretty sure Mark Shifley is still not doing too good. I bet he's still chirping about that hit last night on him. <laughs> I'm also joined today by a fellow Stanley Cup of Chowder member, Adam Denhardt. Adam, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Colin. I'm glad to be a part of this, and I'm excited to see what we have to talk about today. So we'll dive right in. Last night was quite uh, an entertaining game, all sorts of stuff happening. Unfortunately, the Bruins didn't uh, take away two points, but still an entertaining game nonetheless. Uh, you know, goals scored, big hits, uh, plenty of jawing back and forth between the teams. You know, any general thoughts from either of you on the game? I mean, if that game is going to be a possible Stanley Cup final preview, I would be on board for it. It's not necessarily going to translate into a rivalry for years to come, but the physicality that that game was at, as much as the refs did, I think, an abysmal job of trying to keep the game in check, just the intensity and energy from both sides, I think, was felt and was palpable in so many moments in that game. From the hit that jo uh, Josh Morrissey put on Matt Grizzly, and we'll get into that in a little bit, uh, to scoring those um, power play goals multiple times being down to tie it up, uh, how amazing that overtime was and how tough that shootout could be. Just, I think that would be an incredible potential playoff series as much as it hurts. And I feel bad for Matt Grizzly. And it's another case where the Bruins come out of a series with more injured players. But it's so far, so good. Yeah, if if that overtime was to be laid out five on five in a Stanley Cup playoff game, I don't know that I would ever want it to end. Um, so I I would take the health of the players out of it and just let them go at it for you know several extra periods at a time. <clears throat> I thought the intensity of the game was good. I thought the Bruins had a good forecheck for most of the game, but uh, not being able to really get to the Jets early cost them and fortunately didn't cost them too much. They still got a point out of it. So a, a good night all around. And especially since they're still down five of their, maybe not their core players and not their, you know, cornerstones, but down five real strong players for them. So a, a good point grab, if not a win last night. Yeah, it was definitely an entertaining game. I didn't expect to, have a, a Winnipeg Bruins game be so exciting, but uh, that would certainly make for a great matchup uh, in the Stanley Cup Finals. The the two big takeaways for me from last night's game were unfortunately the the referees, where I think they had a a pretty uncharacteristic off night. Uh, we won't harp on them too much. It happens here and there. Uh, the other big takeaway was obviously the Josh Morrissey hit on Matt Krizlik, who is unfortunately injured, uh, still awaiting word, but as of right now, it's an upper body injury. Uh, best wishes to Matt, but I have to say that wasn't a hit that should be in the game, in my opinion. We found out earlier today that um, the Jets and Josh Morrissey aren't expected to receive any supplementary discipline on that. And I have to say I'm a little disappointed in, in the decision on that. I know that Grizzly does turn his body at the last second. And yes, he does put himself in a vulnerable position. But on the other hand, at least in my opinion, Morrissey you know, goes a third of the length of the rink and is clearly targeting Grizzlick for the hit the entire time. He goes high, he jumps, and at the end of the day, it seems like 
a broken record every week. It seems like we're saying this, but it's a hit that didn't need to be made in my opinion. And it's just unfortunate that yet another player Bruins or otherwise is hurt. Uh, hopefully Grizzlick is okay, but um, you know, that's just the cards that were dealt. Yeah. It's a tough one to swallow, especially, you know, because Grizzlick was such a, has been such a bright spot this season so far in a mainstay, really, you know, he's been on that third pairing for most of the season and, and has moved his way up as the injuries have mounted. So uh, we, we did get a little bit of a favorable turn on that onsides call for Denton Heinen, uh, which was still, again, I still think it was too close to call, but uh, fortunately it went the Bruins way at that time. So got us a goal, got us another goal on the ensuing extra power play. Um, and, it's, it, you know, it was one of those games where the refereeing, you, you try not to give them too much grief for it, but it was, it was tough to watch it sometimes. Round and round, the wheel of discipline spins. <laughs> where, where, where is it going to land this time? Oh, it was just a hockey play. There's no, no sense about it. Oh, it was Grizzly's fault. Sorry, bud. You probably got a concussion. That's on you. Maybe we'll get him next time. It always lands I mean, on Brad Marchand. Always. <laughs> Thank God for the piece that seems to be going viral off of our website that was posted a few days ago about that. But I mean, come on, there's got there's such a fundamental lack of understanding about what this game is about from the Department of Player Safety and what needs to be disciplined and what doesn't. And hits like Josh Morrissey's, where he clearly had enough time to stop and think and go, you know what? Grizzlick's probably going to turn into the boards and try and protect that puck. And there are three seconds left on the clock. What does it matter? I shouldn't be hitting him anyway. And yet he still goes in full force and just nails him. His head makes a really significant impact into the boards. It's honestly just abysmal to see George Peros and the Department of Player Safety not give any regard. Even if it was a token one game, like, yes, we understand that something might be wrong internally with us, but we can at least recognize that a headhunt like that and a major hit at a completely inappropriate time is worth something. I would have felt a little bit more satiated by it but it's completely irresponsible. And frankly, over the offseason, the Department of Player Safety needs an overhaul. And that starts from the top up. I'm sorry, George Peros, you got to get your stuff together. And I don't think it's going to be you who's going to lead the Department of Player Safety into an era where everyone is accepting of the discipline that it doles out. Yeah, for me, the, the two things to take away from that is that it was clear to me there was intent there with the hit. I don't think it was accidental. And there was also a clear injury, which, as we know, factors into any decisions from Department of Player Safety. Um, again, disappointing. Anyone who's followed me on Twitter has seen me lash out here and there about some of the decisions that are made. I fully expect that the upcoming negotiations in the CBA will probably discuss uh, some of these issues as there is, you know, as everyone knows, ongoing litigation against the NHL for head injuries. Uh, speaking of injuries, the Bruins are still injured as they have been most of the year. Currently we are down, uh, you know, a, a handful of key players like Jake Mint, or Adam mentioned earlier. Uh, we did get some good news on the injury fronts today per the Bruins media team. Uh, Bacchus, Chara, DeBrusque, and McAvoy are all skating at this point. Um, we don't know if any or even a few of them will slot in in tomorrow's game against Tampa Bay Lightning. But knock on wood, it seems like the team is getting somewhat healthy as we get closer to the playoffs here and it should be a huge boost for this team uh, to get a few of those players back. Unfortunately, Grizzlick is now injured for an undetermined amount of time and, and the news on Rick Nash doesn't seem to be good, but there hasn't been an update. 
Um, all we know at this point is he's not skating still. A video posted by Bruins YouTuber Dafumi actually kind of might pinpoint where an injury might lie with Rick Nash. It was during the game in Tampa Bay. Uh, Cedric Paquette comes and kind of launches a little bit and gets some arm into Rick Nash's head. So that might be the issue there. And it's really unfortunate for Grizzlick being out now. I've loved the kid since he was captain at BU. He and I are both Terriers, and so I've got a good commonality with him there. Um, it, it's a, still amazing, honestly, and very lucky that even with all of these injuries, with Z out and McAvoy and DeBras, guys who have contributed up and down the lineup, and this team still is succeeding as it is. It feels like a miracle, in my opinion. We're lucky to have a guy like Ryan Donato who stepped in and contributed in a big way. Despite every game he's scoring in, they've lost so far. Um, Tommy Wingles and Nick Holden uh, have stepped up as well. Brian Gianta being another surprise. He hasn't necessarily contributed on the scoreboard too well, but um, since his first few games, uh, it's just it's a great next man up mentality. And it's great to see that Z and um, McAvoy and DeBrusque and David Backus might even be ready in the next few games and to get major pieces back in the lineup. But for what it's been, it's been strange that health hasn't necessarily been the biggest detractor from this team. Yeah. And, and I mean, you, you guys both really addressed who's been out a couple of other players that have been in and out. So we, we know we got Bergeron back. Brad Marchand spent some time on the shelf. I mean, I don't think Krejci has sat yet this season, but for for some reason, it still might be a concern for him, though he's generally a pretty healthy player. Um, what, what I wanted to comment on was that I think it's great to see that Patrice is almost back to his old self. He might have a couple of more steps to catch up in terms of game speed, and you know maybe his top speed isn't quite back yet, but... You know, we have a foot injury. It's impossible to, to skate for the bulk of the time he was out. He's only been on the ice for, you know, a week before his first game back on the road trip and flew out to join the road trip. So I think it's awesome that the Bruins are taking as much time as they can. They're in a great position to do that because of the playoff qualification already. And, you know, I think um, – I think uh, Arizona and Buffalo did us some favors this week in terms of bumping down the Leafs and the Lightning in the, the you know eventual playoff picture. You know neither of those playoff bound teams were able to get a point against you know basement dwellers of of the NHL. So I think it's been helpful that this next man up mentality is really kicking the Bruins into high gear at the right time. And they're just going to be able to plug in more and more skill as people come back. Yeah, shifting gears a little bit, but still speaking of skill, I want to take a couple minutes and talk about, uh, you know, rookie Ryan Donato, how he's looked this season. Obviously the goals jump out at you, but we want to take a bit of a, a deeper look into, you know, how he's fitting in with the team, where he slots in going forward, uh, all of that stuff through, Five games played, he has three goals, two assists for five points. Um, you know, what is it that really jumps out outside of, obviously, the goal scoring in the offense uh, to you guys? I think uh, it's the creativity, honestly. That goal last night in Winnipeg where he dekes around two Winnipeg uh, Jets and pulls it on his backhand. And he's on his backhand and the puck's on his toe, too. So the fact that where his skates were planted, he could get any amount of lift and power on that shot 
was incredible. I think he's got a wicked shot. There are some aspects that I think we'll develop later on that we'll talk about in just a sec, but I think he's a wicked creative and a really smart player. Yeah, he's been, I think we've all spoken offline about this, but he's made great impressions so far in terms of his ability to score, which we, I think, I I know that I didn't get much chance to watch him before his NHL debut, so my, my bank of knowledge is pretty limited, but the fact that he's picked up a handful of goals and has been helpful on others just in his first week. I mean, he's, you know, like the article that's, that's out there now from us, his first week has been among the best uh, in recent memory, at least in terms of how they really, the Bruins are trying to infuse the youth and, and get it, get the team to a point where it's a fast, hard charging North South, you know, driving the puck to the other team's net type of game um, I think he's had a little bit of trouble with defensive responsibilities but you know it's hard to ask that fresh out of you know fresh out of hockey east 21 year old kid to you know take on more responsibility than than what he's being brought in to do he's looked a little bit similar to some of the other rookies that have come in but again like Jake said he's really got that shot that separates him from players like Dubrusk and Bjork um, to, to make an immediate impact and hopefully sustained impact because it would be great to see him continue to keep that roster spot as the Bruins move into the playoffs. You know, one thing that I noticed about his game that a friend brought up to me as well, and something that has good parallels with another member on this current Bruins team, he's kind of weak on the puck and he's kind of weak on his stick. And I don't think that's a product of him not being a skilled player. He clearly is in order to make it to the NHL. He just needs to continue to fill into his body and learn how his body size adapts to the NHL style of play. The way that kind of relates to another uh, current Bruin is it's very similar to how David Posternock started his career. He was kind of a scrawnier kid, immensely creative and a great shot, just was always getting forced off the puck. Sometimes it was because he was doing the creative thing over necessarily the easier uh, play. But because he was just such a smaller player, he was getting forced off and uh, getting the puck taken off his stick really quickly. And so I think over the next season or two, we'll watch as Donato learns how to be strong on his stick and how it's just going to continue to improve his game. Yeah, I I watched him pretty closely last night in anticipation for this segment. And I mean, part of it is that the team is so injured and, and they're down some key offensive players. But he was out in overtime last night. And a couple of things stuck out to me really with him. Um, one good, one bad. He did lay a, a, a solid body hit on line A that separated him from the puck on a bit of a breakaway in the three-on-three overtime. And, you know, you don't want to be too critical on a kid, especially in the defensive end that's going to come, you know, a little later on. But it was a you know, solid instinctual play for him that uh, could have turned into a scoring chance for one of the best goal scorers in the league. On the flip side, he did have that uh, bit of a breakaway uh, going into the offensive zone where his teammates were trailing him on the play and he just let loose with his shot. And, and part of me says, you know, shoot or shoot, you want to see a kid like that just go for uh, the shot. But on the flip side, he did give up a rebound that could have very easily gone to Winnipeg and turned into a, you know, a scoring chance going the other way. So it's just learning moments for him, you know, just little nitpicks here and there. But overall, he's definitely done an exciting player. You know, he's got that shot that everyone talks about. And to Jake's point, I think, you know, once he fills out, once he gets some, some games under his belt, 
He certainly looks to be something special. He scored in the shootout on a pretty nice uh, move last night as well. Unfortunately, the Bruins didn't win, but, you know, without without nitpicking him too much, he certainly had a, a strong start here. Uh, some would say even, you know, a really strong start. Which brings us to our next segment. Um, we want to do a regular segment just picking who we think the three stars of the past week or so have been for the Bruins. We'll start with our third star. Um, we'll each give you a few of our candidates and the reasons why. And uh, who did you have for your third star, Jake? Um, it just goes back to our whole conversation about Ryan Donato. I had him as my third star. Um, his presence on the ice offensively has been tremendous without having Rick Nash. And it makes me feel really confident about the future, seeing already the type of chemistry he has with David Krejci, who historically has had a tough time finding line chemistry ever since the Peter Shirley, uh, a combination of him and Don Sweeney traded away Nathan Horton and Milan Lucic. But I think as far as Donato today, I'd call his production over the, his first five games third star worthy for the last few weeks. Yeah, he certainly had a, a good start. What about you, Adam? Uh, so I had, when we had discussed this a little bit earlier, I had Donato a little higher on my list. Um, but my third star this week, for the past week, has been David Posterdock. And my main reason for putting him at third and not higher on the list is, you know, for the reasons I'll, I'll explain when we get to second and first. But I, um, I thought he's been clutch. He's been all season, really, but I noticed it quite a bit in the past week. And I think maybe he's a little more motivated to be aggressive in the offensive zone because Patrice is back, but he's been a, one of the strongest four checkers. If only in terms of the fact that he is the most raw speed on the team to get there first and really cause issues for defense. And I thought it was on full display uh, in the game against Winnipeg. I thought that he was a big reason why they were able to get the four check going in that game. Um, obviously the fourth line is going to be somewhat effective, but they play a more, a more heavy game. Uh, they, they have some foot speed under them, but I think pasta has been a real catalyst for that. And not to mention the fact that he's had so many points in the last few games. I mean, he's, he's at five again for the last six or so. So he's, he's been racking them up and, being generally effective at, at being a, a top offensive winger. For my third star, I, I originally actually had my favorite uh, player here, Riley Nash. But since Bergeron's come back, he's taken a, you know, still important but lesser role. Uh, so I'm going to go with uh, Tori Krug, who in the absence of Zidane Chara, in the absence of Charlie McAvoy, you know, has really stepped up, taken – on a much uh, heavier load in his last five games, or his last six games, excuse me, he has seven points, a goal, and six assists. Um, and the offense has always been there for him, but more importantly, he's taking on, like I said, a heavier workload. He's up over 22 minutes a night uh, on average. You know, he's playing in all situations, even on the penalty kill. And it's been for the most part, seamless for him. I know that, you know, many talk about him as being just an, an offensive dynamo, but he's really, I think, turned some heads this year, showing that he can do, you know, a little bit of everything when called upon. Um, so for me, he'd be my third star. And we'll move ahead into the second star. Jake, who did you have for your second? 
just as how you've been talking about Tory Krug rounding into his own as a defenseman, my second star happens to be Kevin Miller. With the absence of Zdeno Chara and Charlie McAvoy, not to literally repeat what you've been saying, but his defensive game and the amount of ice time that he's had to eat up over the last few weeks has been frankly astonishing. Looking at his last five games, the lowest amount of time on ice he's had was against Columbus, and it was still over 20 minutes of ice time. The fact that he's able to chew up so many minutes, not be a minus player, and make contributions on the defensive end while allowing guys like Tory Krug and Matt Grizzlick, uh, at least while he was healthy, to contribute on the offensive side of things and skate a little bit more, I think it's one of the most underrated qualities of this Bruins defense, having a steady guy like Kevin Miller in the lineup, which is why he rounds out to number two on my uh, three stars list. Yeah, they they both Krug and Kevin deserve a lot of credit for the way that they've played. Um, and I know that Bruce has fluctuated the defensive pairings a little bit to get better looks at different players. Really, I think it's more of a playoff tryout to see where Nick Holden's going to fall. Um, hopefully where Matt Grizzlick's going to fall. And that's assuming he's going to make his comeback relatively quickly. Um I would love. I just want to throw this in here too. I would love to see a Krug Kevin Miller pairing at some point in the playoffs, if not before then, just because I think they both have a lot of energy and they have energy in the in complementary places where you know Krug is that offensive threat and the great breakout pass, and Kevin Miller really knows how to place a hit um, where it's needed and where it doesn't do it when it's not needed. So, uh, both good picks for for. The second stars, I actually went with Ryan Donato for mine um, because I got to give credit to the kid where it's due. He's stepped in admirably. He's played nearly 20 minutes in two of the five games he's played so far. and His average is just under 17. So he's, you know, he's been slotted in with top line players for a reason. He's a top flight uh, offensive talent and the minutes are going to come with the center he plays with. I realize that his minutes aren't necessarily indicative of what he has been doing himself, but the fact that he has slotted in so well and, you know, made an impact, again, getting those five points in his five games so far, he's forcing other teams to play him cautiously. And because he's an unknown commodity, or I guess in their case, an unknown risk, they really have to, you know, back off him a little bit. And that leaves a lot more room for the Bruins to make their way up the ice. Didn't show so much against Winnipeg because Winnipeg was doing a great job of checking in the um, stopping the breakout passes from the Boston end, but I thought Donato's been doing a great job since he started. It's hard not to be excited about what Donato brings, especially as he gets more games under his belt. I got the fever. Uh, yeah, for my uh, for my second star, I actually went with Pasta. Um, it's it's kind of funny with all the focus on the youth movement this year, and there's been plenty with DeBrusque and Donato and and McAvoy and you know everyone else, even Bjork earlier in the season. It's easy to forget that Pasta is not even 22 years old. It's uh, he may be having the the quietest 74 point and counting season for a 22 year old that uh, I can remember. Um, and you know, to the points that were made earlier, it's not just offense. although that's primarily what his role here is. Um, you know, it seems like his effort level, night in and night out, especially when the Bruins are down key players, is really you know at a high level. Um, you don't see him taking plays off. He's really aggressive on the forecheck. And, you know, he's really brought his game up you know, to an area we, we haven't seen in the past. And, again, he's, he's not even 22 years old. You know, he has scored 
you know, at a, a point per game pace, not only all season, but also in the last five or six games, he's got three goals and two assists for five points um, and only 18 minutes average time on ice. So he's productive in the time that he is on, on the ice um, and has done that without Bergeron for large stretches of time as well. So he's really been a driver of, of the offense with and without other players in the lineup. So for me, he'd be my second star. We'll go right into our first star as we wrap up this segment. Uh, Jake, who did you have for your overall first star? How can I not put our own little ball of hate, number 63, Brad Marchand, as my number one star? He's an absolutely electric player. And as much as uh, Patrice Bergeron does deserve the credit for a lot of this season and could ostensibly be in the heart conversation, I would hope, uh, Brad Marchand just has such an energizing presence on the ice. When he's scoring, he's scoring at a prolific rate. The amount of overtime goals he's had, not just this season, but the fact that he leads uh, the Boston Bruins franchise-wide over the course of their history in overtime goals is an incredible feat. Uh, that overtime goal in Minnesota was a thing of beauty, the way he just skated up the ice, churning his legs. And then what a wicked shot he put on uh, Alex Stalock. And then even when he's not scoring, he's still making as many plays as he can, and he's trying to create as many chances for his teammates as he can afford. Uh, skating around the zone, holding the puck on his backhand, stopping and turning on a dime. He's just got such an amazing quality out there. And there's a reason why he's one of the more elite players in the NHL nowadays. And it's because his offensive game has stepped up so much. And I think it's really shown even with Patrice Bergeron out of the lineup. Yeah, I think they had it in one of the uh, infographics during the game against Winnipeg that he had since uh, over the last five or so years he's got the most points per game other than one player and i if i would say it's Sidney crosby but i'm honestly not sure um so he's he's absolutely an impact i actually also had him moved up as my first star as well uh, just to put some numbers to it he's got nine points in the last five games he's got constant presence and energy around the puck it's almost impossible for them to knock him off the puck and when they do it's because he made a quote-unquote desperation chip to his defenseman or cross ice to the other winger or around behind the net so it's it's very rare to see him make a uh like just a raw turnover that it's it's always a, a net positive play that he's making with the puck and you know hopefully his teammates know what to do with it when he gets it to him. Um, he just draws so much attention from the other team that he's able to make those desperation chips and, and dumps because somebody else is always open in the offensive zone when he has the puck. Yeah. For my first star, you can probably guess who it is. It's uh, it's Marchand for me as well. You know, he's, we've always known that he had offensive skill, you know, he's shown it more in recent years, but he's really on a, on a heart trophy pace you know, if he'd stayed healthy this year. And unlike a lot of the other candidates, he also brings near elite level defense night in and night out. Um, so he really is, you know, the whole package with and without, you know, his longtime line mate, Patrice Bergeron. Uh, you know, his skating has improved over the years. And one of the things that uh, our colleague Fluto from the Boston Globe actually mentioned in a, a terrific piece that he had is, you know, his, his work down low in front of the net. Um, he's unique in how he scores. He, he pretty much universally scores either off of a wrist shot or off a backhander. He doesn't take shots from up high, doesn't use slap shots. And you can see it. He's out there practicing, 
you know, he's, he's really perfected all of those moves. He's must watch television at this point, anytime he has the puck on his stick in a lot of ways, you know, he's, he's helped carry this team throughout the season. Unfortunately, he's also, you know, had some, some plays like he will year in and year out that are dangerous or frustrate us. But, you know, from a value standpoint, he, he's absolutely one of the team's MVPs. So yeah. lots of, lots of worthy candidates, you know, Kevin Miller, you know, I mentioned Riley Nash. It seems like every time a player goes down, another player, you know, pops up. It's a very Patriots do your job like season. You know, just a lot of hard work and effort from this team. Yeah. And I, I'm sorry to almost cut you off there, Colin. I just wanted to add that I was talking to a colleague of mine today who um, actually saw the, uh, the sarcasm Marshawn piece and asked me about it because uh, he thought he might have actually been suspended. And it's, it's odd that that was. It was concerning to Bruins fans because you don't want to see your top offensive player on the shelf for any reason. Um, but it's also concerning in a sense that fans recognize that as a distinct possibility and it could happen in any game because you don't know if he's going to try and pull something or if it's going to get interpreted a certain way. And the you know Department of Player Safety is going to use his record against him. He does have a record and he is a borderline player and, you know, he's still not very far over that line that he towed a couple of years ago where he was still the little ball of hate and not the little ball of great. So it's, it's odd to, to hear that. It's excellent that he's really racking up the points for Boston and, and carrying a load, but it, it's, it's just tough to hear sometimes, you know, you worry about how the team would fare without him. Yeah. I think it's fair to categorize a lot of fans relationship with, with Brad as a bit of a love hate in that every one of us can recognize the elite talent that he brings. But to your point, you know, there have been some plays that are borderline or even worse. And, you know, in the news lately, there was some Marcus Johansson, you know, comments that he had where he's still out with concussion from that, that sort of bang, bang play where Marshan caught him with his elbow earlier in the season, a couple months back. So you, you have to take the good with the bad with Marshan and you hope that he can, you know, keep his game clean and, and avoid missing any ice time. And I think for the most part he has, he's, he's managed to not take too many penalties, but he's an absolutely key member of the team and they need him on the ice if they're going to advance in the playoffs. And speaking of looking ahead, we'll take a quick look and, and look at the actual week ahead. We, we have a few matchups we're going to highlight before we're joined by a special guest to, to really get in deep detail on one of the upcoming matches. So the first matchup we have is, as everyone knows, a 7 p.m. start against Tampa Bay Lightning. If you don't know what the stakes are for this, you probably haven't been paying attention to the Bruins much. You know, first place in the Eastern Conference is on the line here against really two powerhouse teams this year. Tampa Bay has been one of the best teams in the league alongside the Bruins. Uh, both have dominated a lot of the national coverage, and it should be an absolutely fantastic matchup. Um, I'm not usually one for predictions, but if I'm going to make a prediction on this one, I, I have a good feeling about the Bruins' chances. Granted, their health will play a big part in this. We don't know if Bacchus, Chara, DeBrusque will be back for it, but the Bruins have done well against the Tampa Bay Lightning this year. Uh, so I'll go out on, on a bit of a limb here, and I'll, I'll call it a win. We hope. We'll see. I don't necessarily want to make a prediction as to whether the Bruins will win or not. As far as the type of game it's going to be, 
you guys remember at the end of last year, the game that the Bruins actually clinched their playoff spot with against Tampa Bay, where it just, the building was alive. You could literally feel it from down the street. That's what this game's going to be like. This crowd is going to be absolutely on fire. They know what the stakes are. Both teams know what the stakes are. It's going to be incredibly competitive and a whole lot of fun to watch. Yeah, I, if, I again, want to hesitate on predicting win or loss because it, it sounds like, well, we know the injury issues that Boston has been dealing with. Um, Tampa Bay has been dealing with a little bit of that, um, uh, how do you want to phrase it? They're, they're, stay, they're uh, tabling off a little bit, getting ready for the playoffs. You know, they qualified early. And while it was, you know, well-documented that players at, on, in the Tampa locker room came back with a chip on their shoulder for having missed last year, um, that can only get you so far. So it's a little bit of a challenge to think that it's, it's challenging to think about what the outcome of the game is going to be. What I will predict is that I will have zero voice left at the end of the game because I will be in the balcony with uh, all my closest friends, all 17,564 of them. So it's going to be an exciting game for sure, like Jake said. Um, and I think beyond the Tampa game, what we really want to look for too is looking past the Tampa game, how we're going to get points out of the rest of you know the week ahead because there's some winnable matchups and whether or not we grab a point from Tampa it's you know there's still more games to play after that so yeah looking forward to uh, should be some challenging games but they're certainly winnable for this Bruins team uh, after the first of two matchups against the Lightning we have the Florida Panthers who have been you know pretty hot of late as they're fighting for a wild card position on the 31st, 1 p.m. on Saturday. Um, surprisingly enough, the Panthers have actually given the Bruins some, some trouble in recent years, but I do think, you know, this Bruins team has shown time and time again, they're focused, they're hungry, and I think, you know, they, you know, even without all their players healthy, they certainly have the ability to, to put the Panthers team away. You know, it goes for the next matchup as well that they have after Florida. That's on April 1st against the Philadelphia Flyers. It's two teams who are really fighting for a wild card spot who are incredibly hungry and are going to play desperate hockey. And one of those games, I think, is going to be a trap game for the Bruins. As much as they've, as much as they've clinched and they can absolutely be happy with where they are, they can't be complacent. And one of those games, it's just going to slip into the lineup a little bit too much and it's going to force some loss one way or another. Yeah, I'm nervous that that's going to be Florida. <clears throat> Excuse me. Only because it's... I think if it's against Florida, then the Bruins will be able to check back in for Philadelphia, unless I'm getting my order mixed up. Um, but I agree. There's an opportunity for a loss, and I don't want to see the Bruins take it because I'd rather see them one, play one of those you know, wildcard teams in the first round. No, your order is right, but I happen to think it's going to be against Philadelphia. I'm of the mentality the devil you do or the devil you don't. And the Bruins know the Panthers. They know their style of play. I think that they can adjust to it well enough now that Bruce has at least a game or two of film on them. It's been, I feel like, a decent amount of time since the Bruins have played the Flyers. And so not being in their division, not necessarily being totally connected to their storyline for the season, I feel like it's just going to slip them up just a little bit. But that's going to give them the motivation to go back out and be like, now we're playing a team that's directly competing against us in Tampa once again. And they're going to go and they're going to push for a full 60 minutes there. 
Yeah, but the Bruins already having, you know, clinched the playoff spots. As important as potentially getting that first seed is, I think at the end of the day, getting everyone healthy and, and just maintaining their momentum as they head into the playoffs is the most important thing here. They seem to match up pretty well against the Flyers, and they've certainly done well against the Lightning. I don't know, you know, if they'll win or lose, but each of these games should certainly be exciting because each of the teams are, are fighting uh, for something important now, whether it's to make that wild card spot for the Panthers or Flyers or for seeding with the, the Bruins and the Lightning. So it should definitely be an entertaining week as we get close to the end of the regular season here. Next, we're going to be joined by our guest, as mentioned before, talking specifically about the Tampa Bay Lightning matchup and what we can look forward to. All right, listeners, as promised earlier, we're joined today by our guest, uh, Gio Fitzgerald, who is a senior feature writer for Raw Charge, covering the Tampa Bay Lightning. We're going to get right into it, um, talking about the Lightning as one of the likely playoff opponents for the Bruins if they do proceed far enough, as well as a team they're battling currently uh, to finish first in the East. So on that topic, Gio, thanks for joining us first and foremost. And uh, for the first sort of topic, just kind of wondering from your perspective as someone who covers the Tampa Bay Lightning, uh, what are you perhaps most optimistic or even pessimistic about your team right now going forward? So I think when you look at the Lightning roster, uh, the forward depth is incredibly deep. Um, you know, you, you can kind of go down the lineup and you can, you know, pick out like the top eight forwards or so and go, well, every one of these guys is a legitimate top six, you know, forward in the NHL and would be playing on the tip, top six and on most teams in the league. Uh, and we've got eight guys that fit that bill um, with Ryan McDonough joining at the trade deadline. The defense also looks a lot deeper uh, than it did before. Um, so there's a lot of, you know, balance throughout the lineup. It's really deep, but the biggest concern has just been that over the past month or two months, they haven't been playing this, you know, quite as well as they were playing uh, in the first two or three months of the season. And so that's been a big concern that they haven't, you know, picked it up, um, you know, going into the playoffs here. So, you know, there's that worry that that Washington effect of you kind of sleepwalking into the playoffs might end up hitting them. So how, how much of that do you think is just that they're, you know, guaranteed a playoff spot and, you know, they're, for lack of a better word, taking it easy? Or, or do you think it's, it's more of a roster construction or injuries or you know, a, a group of different issues? Um, I, th I think it's probably a little bit of that, you know, being, being comfortably, you know, in a playoff spot. Um, you know, and they talked about it a lot early on in the season that missing the playoffs last year, uh, a lot of the guys came into training camp and into the beginning of the season with, you know, huge chips on their shoulder and that was really driving them. But I think, you know, that only drives you for so long. And, you know, especially with, you know, they've been, you know, up and at the top of the, the division for, you know, most of the season now. And so I think they've kind of, you know, let that get away from them a little bit that they're not quite as, as hungry as they were in the beginning of the season. So you really got to hope that, you know, when the playoffs actually come around that they'll, you know, refine that and, you know, when games are more meaningful again, I mean, not that they're not meaningful now because we are fighting with Boston for that, 
first, you know, first spot in the division, that then when they're, you know, actually meaningful and something's actually on the line, got to hope that they'll step back up to that and, you know, really get that, that fire back in them. And, and even a little bit too, and I was actually discussing this with uh, Alan, our big analytics guy on raw charge um, earlier that, uh, you know, some of this performance has also been a little bit of regression in percentages. Their shooting percentage has been coming down. Um, and, you know, so that's been a little bit of the, you know, their play. But it also just feels like they're giving up more goals. They're giving up more shots and just, you know, haven't been playing, you know, quite as well as they were. Hey, Gio, it's Jake. What has Andre Vasilevsky done to turn himself from highly ranked prospect into basically a Vezina candidate, if not already named the winner this year? Um, you know, I think he he probably wasn't quite ready last year. Um, you know, at least not at the start of the year. But then he got he got one little taste of it when Ben Bishop went down for um, three or four weeks, and he started like nine nine or ten games in a row. And the first half of that, he did really well. And the second half of that, he really struggled. Um, and then when Bishop was traded at the deadline, you know, he took over the number one spot and he really took control of it. He really seized it. And it, it also speaks to, um, you know, Iserman's foresight uh, and the develop, you know, the, the development of him and like where they saw his development being at this point. You know, they specifically structured Bishop's contract you know, to end last season because I think they already had a good feeling that, you know, this was going to be the year that, you know, Vasilevsky was going to be ready to step up. And, you know, he's shown that, um, you know, I think behind the scenes, what, you know, most people don't see is he's got an incredible work ethic. He's an incredible competitor. You know, he doesn't take losing, you know, lightly, you know, he wants to win, um, you know, and, and I think another thing that you have to remember too, is that, you know, as a as a 19 year old in the KHL, he took his team to uh, the KHL finals. So it's not like he hasn't had a long playoff run before, you know, or, or you know hasn't been a successful starter before because you know he did, you know, when he was 19, and then now it's just taken that next transition to you know, the NHL level. And you know, I think really he's just he's right on schedule. Um, I think a, a you know not to get too close and actually making this comparison, but when you look at Carey Price, you know, this was the age, you know, 23 years old where Carey Price really had his breakout. You know, he had a couple of years of being, you know, a pretty good goalie, but it was, at, I think it was right at 23 or 24 when he had, you know, his first really big season and Vasilevsky seems to be on that same timeline. So from a national perspectives, you know, what we hear is that, he may be overplayed this season. Is, is that something that's really just, you know, talked up too much from a national viewpoint, or do you think there's any validity to that? Um, yeah, it's something that we've kind of bantered back and forth. And, you know, Cooper does have a history of riding his starting goaltender pretty hard. Um, when you look back at Ben Bishop, you know, he was mostly in that 60 to 65 start range for three years. Um, and I think that's about where, Vasilevsky's going to end up, um, you know, kind of, I guess it kind of depends on, you know, how, how much more they end up using uh, Louis Domingue, you know, down the stretch here. Um, you know, but I mean, he's sitting at 60, you know, 60 starts right now with, you know, six games to go. So, you know, he's right there in that like upper echelon, you know, elite 
starting goaltenders, you know, um, you know, games played, you know, area. So, you know, we'll see how that goes because it has been a while since he's, he's played, you know, this much. Um, and we, you know, we'll have to see how he does going into the playoffs, but I'm, I'm not too concerned about it. Um, I think that the past month or so when his save percentages, you know, and his goals against have, have slipped a little bit. I think it's, you know, like I uh, alluded to earlier that just the percentages have kind of caught up you know, to them and they've regressed back to the mean a little bit, including Vasilevsky, you know, that he's not quite at the same level, but he's still playing really well. You know, it's no surprise that um, Vasilevsky was expected to perform pretty well this season, but I think it is a surprise to put him in the Vezina contention so young into his career already. But who do you think has been the biggest surprise so far on Tampa Bay? Uh, biggest surprise would probably have to be Yanni Gord. Um, you know, and he's such such a great, great story. You know, this is a guy that, you know, he was undrafted, came out of the QMJHL. Um, he played in the ECHL. Um, he, uh, you know, he was on a, a professional tryout with in the AHL with uh, San Jose's organization. Um, they let his PTO run out after 25 games, and and it wasn't like he you know wasn't scoring during that time. Like he had you know pretty good stats. Like he was probably a solid you know third line, um, you know, and third liner in the AHL at that point. And when his PTO uh, ran out, the Lightning you know, went in, snagged him, signed him for a PTO for the rest of the year, or an AHL contract for the rest of the year, and signed him to an entry-level contract. And, you know, he, he came up last year, played, I think it was 24 games, had like 14 or 15 points, um, more goals than assists. And, you know, we looked at him coming into this year. He had signed a new two-year contract you know, for right around one point. 1 million, I think 1.2 million. Um, and yeah, he was, he was looked at as probably being a third liner. He could play center. He could play either wing. Uh, he's really aggressive on the four check, despite being a small guy. And, you know, he's sitting here right now with 24 goals and 58 points, which his goals are already a lightning rookie uh, record. Uh, and he's coming up on, uh, I think it's Tyler Johnson or, Brad Richards, I can't remember who has the the rookie lead for points for the Lightning, but he's coming up on on trying to break that record as well. And you know, fifty eight points. You know, granted he's twenty four, twenty five. You know, this year, so he is an older prospect. You know, just the definition of a late bloomer, and he's he's been a really nice surprise where he's really turned out to just be a legitimate, you know, top six threat to score. That also plays, you know, incredibly good defense as well. I think that's something that's, you know, even underrated in his game. It's how well he plays in his own zone. So we've talked a lot about Vasilevsky, and we talked a little bit about being overplayed and kind of the Lightning's regression down to the means as the season's coming along. Aside from that, what else do you think are kind of Tampa's weak points going down through the end of the year? Um, so. I don't think that they play defense as well as they probably could. Um, when you kind of go down this lineup, you know, you look at, you know, guys like, you know, there's an Andre Pilat who, you know, is a great, you know, two-way, um, you know, winger. You know, he's a kind of, he's the kind of guy that I feel like that if he was a center, he'd probably be in the Selkie conversation because he plays such a great 
200-foot game. Um, you know, Anton Strawman is really underrated, I think, by a lot of uh, people. But, you know, he's a guy that's great in his own zone. You know, hopefully with McDonough coming in and getting more comfortable in the system, that hopefully that will kind of stabilize that end of, of the game. Um, you know, I mean, obviously there's an incredible offense. You know, just the defense is just, you know, it's not – it's not by, by far not the worst in the league, but they are kind of middling, and I'd like to see them uh, get better and, and be playing a better defensive game. So shifting gears a little bit and, and looking forward, the two big topics you know in Boston right now is one, you know, will the Bruins catch the Lightning for that first overall seed, and two, you know, looking to potential playoff matchups. So. You know, in your opinion, do you think that the Lightning will hold on and maintain that first overall seed, or do you see the Bruins perhaps catching them, especially with two head-to-head matchups left? Yeah, I think it's really going to come down to who gets the most points out of those two games. I think that's probably what's going to end up determining it. Um, You know, both have, you know, roughly similar schedules from what I remember uh, looking at, you know, about half – playoff teams, half not playoff teams uh, for what's remaining. I think the most interesting thing is that there is this potential that that last game on Sunday for uh, Boston and the Panthers, that that could come down to being a meaningful game for both teams and that Boston could take first with a win and Florida could get into the playoffs with a win. So I, I'm actually kind of hoping that that scenario you know, comes down because I think that would be a great game to watch you know, if both teams have that on the line. Um, but it really, I think it really is going to come down to who takes the most points out of those two games. Yeah, it should be an exciting finish to the season. I know whatever the matchups are, it should be exciting. And personally, I fully expect to the Bruins to meet the Tampa Bay Lightning uh, at some point in the playoffs here. We appreciate you taking the time to give some insight from a Tampa Bay perspective uh, to all of our listeners. Make sure you to take a second and follow our sister site at Raw Charge on Twitter, uh, as well as our guest today, Geo at GeoFits4. Again, thanks for taking the time to join us and best of luck on your season. Thanks, thanks for having All right, and we're back. I want to thank our guest, Geo, for taking the time to join us talking about Stan Bay Lightning. We're going to transition into talking about the playoffs here from the Bruins' perspective. Um, who we'd rather see, who we think we may face. It's certainly the topic of the hour around Boston. I just want to start out and give some head-to-head matchup numbers for the most likely opponents right now. So from this season, head-to-head matchup against Toronto. We've had four games played. The Bruins have won one, lost two in regulation, one in overtime. Now that record's deceiving. There's been a lot of key players hurt. Um, they've been close games for the most part. Um, but they certainly appear to be the, the toughest challenger, in my opinion. After that, you're looking at the potential wildcard teams. You have the Flyers. We played two games, swept them. The Devils played three games, won all three, although that last game was certainly an exciting one. Miles Woods was running around here and there. There was the Johansson and, and Marchand incident. And finally, you have the Florida Panthers, who, as I mentioned, have, have actually given the Bruins a little bit of trouble uh, in recent years. So if you're the if you're the Bruins – who do you want to face and why? 
Well, I would definitely, if I were to choose an opponent for the Bruins, I'd want to see them overtake Tampa for the first spot in the East and play against the Flyers. Uh, and I say that because I, I respect Corey Schneider's ability uh, quite a bit. I know he's had kind of a, a rough go of it as of late, uh, but I think as dangerous as Taylor Hall is and as evenly as New Jersey has played in terms of a, a more balanced game than a run and gun, uh, I think Philadelphia would be where I'd want to see them play. They may get their quote-unquote starter and Brian Elliott back before then. He's, he's you know due to be coming off injured reserve in the next couple of weeks, hopefully for him health-wise, maybe not hoping for the Bruins to face him because he's quite talented. But being relegated to play Peter Mrazek, who has positives and negatives of his own, I think the Bruins would match up well against them. And to Jake's point, you know, if they, if the Bruins play them next week and it's a, you know, a waffling of a game and it's not as clear of an outcome, then the Bruins are going to go into that first round being like, okay, we need to get through this and get through it quickly because we're not going to play that. You know, we're not going to play down to the first round team. We're going to, we're going to try and beat them. Here's my issue with playing New Jersey, though, or not playing New Jersey, but playing Philadelphia. You, what just happened today as well involves their goaltending. Michael Neuver was activated off of IR, and uh, I would have a hard time wanting to face Michael Neuver, even though his career splits against Boston. He's one in five in nine games played, which clearly isn't great, but still just – as someone who's a little bit more established, someone who has more of a footing in Philadelphia than um, Peter Mrazek does, it might help them out a little bit more. And so that freaked me out. And I think Sean Couturier has been a lot more consistent this season over Taylor Hall. As much as Taylor is a prolific player and I have nothing against him, I would be a little more scared consistently on a night-to-night basis to face guys like Sean Couturier and Claude Giroux. And then back on goaltending for uh, New Jersey – Corey Schneider hasn't really been the same since he's come back off of that injury he suffered, happened to be against the Bruins. Um, and you look at the goaltending behind that, and it's Keith Kincaid and Eddie Lack, and that just doesn't compare. So if you're on my opinion, I think this Bruins offense could certainly take it to task to New Jersey and its goaltending and even its defense too. Yeah, I think if the Bruins do end up getting the to face the wild card, no matter if it's the Devils, Flyers, or Panthers, you know they should be able to take care of business with any three of them. Um, there's been a lot of talk, you know, on Twitter and the media and so on about, you know, fans being afraid of Toronto. And I don't think that's a fair characterization. I think most, you know, expect the Bruins to advance out of the first round, no matter who the, the opponent is. But I will say that I certainly respect the Toronto team in terms of what they bring as a competitor for the Bruins. They have a ton of speed, a ton of talent, you know, a great head coach and Mike Babcock. Every single game that they've played this year against the Bruins has been, you know, must-watch television. You know, putting Kadri against the Bergeron line seemed to have, you know, good effect for Babcock's team as well. At the end of the day, in terms of expectations, no matter who they get, I think this Bruins team, you know, is expected at this point to at least win the first round. I don't know what the consensus is after that, but I know many think that they uh, certainly have the potential to go to go further into the playoffs 
you know, in terms of expectations, you know, we don't want to call a Stanley Cup championship or anything like that. But would you both agree that it, at least a first round win is in the cards for the Bruins? If I'm going to be honest, the only team I could see at this point eliminating the Boston Bruins in the playoffs out of the Eastern Conference are the Pittsburgh Penguins. But that's because of the Pittsburgh Penguins, and they give the Bruins fits regardless. So I think that you can beat a lot of these teams. You can Tampa has looked beatable and is beatable. Uh, Toronto, as tough as they are if in their matchup against the Bruins, they're also beatable. Those wildcard teams are certainly beatable. The Met, it's like what happened in the playoffs last season where the top three teams were in the Metro and then everything else fell in the Atlantic. Right now, your top three teams are from the Atlantic and everything else fills in in the Metro. And so you look at who else is there. Washington, eh, I would think that in the later rounds, they'd regress to who the Washington Capitals have been in the second round. Philadelphia, depending on how they make it. Columbus, depending on how they make it. They're also certainly beatable teams. I think that this Bruins team, with the way that they're set up internally and with the way the playoffs are happen to be setting up around them, are going to have a really good shot to go as far as they can. Yeah, without putting a prediction on how far the Bruins are going to go and, and saying it, and maybe we can do that in another podcast closer to you know, the start of the playoffs or, or while we're in it. Uh, the, the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Columbus Blue Jackets worry me a little bit. I don't think that I would say fear is the right word, um, but they have a better balance of offense, defense, and goaltending than do the Flyers or the Devils or even Tampa Bay, who has a little bit of a shortcoming on defense and has you know very prolific offense in Kucherov, Samkos, uh, and Gord, and Point. You, know, they, you can run down their offense list and they'll have somebody that can put the puck in the net. So, um, Again, fear isn't the right word, but if we're looking for teams that would match up well against it, I think Pittsburgh is even just a little step below um, Toronto and Columbus in terms of effectiveness against the Bruins type of game. Yeah, when it comes to the playoffs, you have to respect you know, any opponent that makes it that far, but I agree there's certainly a few that are in a higher echelon. You know, The Bruins, I think, for many are favorites. Uh, like I said, I don't want to predict too too far, but I expect him to make it past the first round. I can speak for myself in saying we've reached that part of the regular season where as important as it is for seeding and everything, I think, you know, myself and many others are, are itching to get to the playoffs and get them started uh, as we, we gear up for this playoff run. Yeah, I was so, thinking about that earlier today that I don't want the regular season to end because the Bruins have been so exciting to watch in these, you know, the, you know that it's not going to run through very long into overtime, but Every time they play, every time the third period starts, it's, oh, okay, what are we going to get tonight? What are we going to get to see? And it's, it's so exciting, and I think the playoffs can't come soon, soon enough, but I wouldn't mind watching another month of hockey before then. I think we're going to have Bruins hockey for a decent amount of time, but I think regardless of whether the Bruins would be in the playoffs or not, we've seen incredible hockey this year, and whoever wins the Cup, it's going to be one heck of a ride the whole way through. Absolutely. Yeah, it's absolutely been, you know, a phenomenal season. Even just to this point, it's been exciting. You know, high-tempo hockey. Um, we've been lucky to watch it. That'll wrap up our podcast for today. Uh, I want to thank everyone for listening. We're looking forward to doing this on a bi-weekly schedule, as time permits, during the regular season and the playoffs. Um, we'll, we'd love to hear your feedback, whether it's on Facebook, on the Twitter, at, at Cup of Chowder at our new Twitter page for the podcast, at SB Unsupervised. 
Uh, you can leave comments and feedback on the actual Anchor app as well as um, audio messages if you want to ask questions for an upcoming episode or leave whatever feedback you'd like. Appreciate you joining us on behalf of StanleyCupChowder.com, Adam, Jake, and myself. Uh, take care. Thanks. Until next time. Thanks, folks. Have a good week. Have a good one, guys.